0: Welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, January 29th, 2023, from the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. Okay, Um, I have a question for you. And if you relate to this in any way, then you can answer it. First is... Does anybody have like that person in your life who is like, they're so organized, they always have a plan, they're never flustered or surprised, they always know exactly what's going to happen and exactly how they're going to handle everything. Does anybody have that person in your life? Yes. yes. You know, um, congratulations if that's you. That must be really cool. That must be excellent. Now, is there anybody in here who's not that person? Is anybody in here who feels like, Day to day, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I hope that I make it okay. I might face plant. I might fall apart. Lord Jesus, help me. Is anybody in here that way? Okay. If that's you, if you're that first person, um, you know, enjoy the year. I mean, that's great. That must be really cool. I I have good news for the second kind of person, if that's okay. Would anybody like some good news this morning? Okay, good. Uh, In the month of January, we are shunning... We are sloughing aside New Year's resolutions. Resolutions are predicated, built on control and willpower. And those are resources that most of us have precious little of. And actually, all of us. So we're not doing New Year's resolutions. We are talking about New Year's benedictions. A benediction is a prayer of blessing. This is not what are you going to do to improve your situation in your life. But what can we pray and expect and hope that God would do for you and in you? So New Year's benedictions. We're going to read one. Uh, Mark actually already read it for us beautifully before. We're going to read it again here in a minute. It comes from the book of Hebrews. But before I read it again, I want to talk for a second about the book of Hebrews. What is the book of Hebrews? And like, you know, how do we understand the context of where this prayer of blessing comes from? So Okay, a couple things about the the letters of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is letters that somebody wrote to a person, an individual, or a church, a group of believers, and a lot of times you know exactly who wrote it, like the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, a couple of them. He wrote a letter to the the church in Colossae, the Colossians, Um, and you know, Peter wrote some letters and John wrote some letters. And so a lot of times you know exactly who this was for and you know exactly who it was from. And the problem with the book of Hebrews is we don't really know either of those two things. We don't really know who this was to. Um, We don't know what really what city they live in. People have theories and stuff like that. The main thing that we know about these people is that this was a group of believers who came from Uh, who were Jewish. They were Jewish people who came to believe Jesus is their Messiah, and as a result, their life really changed in some difficult ways. Before we talk about that, though, uh, the other thing we don't know is we don't know who wrote this letter. All the letters in the New Testament, somebody says that they wrote it. You know, Paul and you know, Paul and Silas wrote this letter, and Paul and Timothy wrote this letter, and Peter wrote this letter, and, and James wrote his letter, and that kind of stuff. This letter doesn't have an author signature on it. We don't know who wrote it. Some people think it might have been Paul. Some people really don't think it was Paul for various reasons that are super nerdy and we don't need to get into. Um, some people think maybe it was, maybe it was Paul's companion Silas. Maybe it was this dude named Apollos. We don't know. We, in fact, we so don't know who wrote it that it's possible, and some people have started to say it, and they say it more than they used to. What if a woman wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. Maybe that's why it wasn't signed. Maybe that's why, you know, usually in New Testament letters, when it talks about issues of men and women and uh, like husbands and wives, the dudes that wrote all the letters that they wrote, they always separate out the men and the women, the husbands and the wives, and they tell them different things. I was reading Hebrews this week and I realized whoever wrote this didn't do that. They just said when they got to like husbands and wives, they didn't separate them out and tell them different things. They just said, hey, let's keep the marriage bed pure. And I'm like, huh. Somebody thinks you should just talk to a married couple on equal footing. I don't know. I'm not saying a woman wrote it. I'm just saying maybe, okay? We don't, but the thing is, we don't know who wrote this letter. We know that they wrote, whoever wrote it, wrote it to a group of believers who were Jewish people who came to know Jesus, and then because they came to know Jesus, their life got really difficult all of a sudden. It got really hard. And that's important. It's an important thing for us to know and to think about and to remember, because if anybody ever sells you that bill of goods that, you know, if your life is hard, you just need to trust in Jesus. You just need to have a little more faith there, brother, and everything's gonna get a lot easier. Mm-mm, no. That's not true. That's not in this book anywhere. And whoever says it to you is selling you a bill of goods. What the scripture says is if you come to know Jesus, you can count on a couple of things. Suffering and trouble. That's what you can count on. The New Testament promises that whoever believes in Jesus will have suffering and trouble. But in the midst of your suffering and in the midst of your trouble, you have Jesus now. So this is what happened to these folks. They came to know Jesus, their lives got a lot harder, because all of a sudden some of them lost their jobs, some of them got kicked out of their family, they faced all kinds of hostilities from the Roman government, some folks got chucked into prison. To come to know Jesus for these people was risky, it was costly, it was, a, it was literally a dangerous thing to do. They had come to know Jesus, their lives had gotten a lot worse all of a sudden, and some of them were thinking, you know, uh, it was a whole lot easier before I signed on to this Jesus thing. Maybe I'll just go back. Maybe I'll just ditch the Jesus piece. I'll just go back to being a person who follows God, believes in God. I'll just go back to the Jewish thing, forget the Jesus piece. And whoever wrote this letter was writing a letter to these folks and saying, whatever you do, don't do that. If you were going to summarize the whole book of Hebrews into two words, it would be the words, don't quit. Don't quit on Jesus. Don't give up. This is a book that is about tenacity. It's about hanging on to what you know about Jesus. Hang on like as, as hard as you can. It's a book about faith. It's a book about there's all kinds of things that you see that are hard and difficult. Everything that you can't see is what you need to cling on to with all that tenacity. It's a book about comparisons, There's a ton of comparisons in the book of Hebrews. Whoever wrote this, they compared Jesus... To angels, he's better than angels. It compared him to Moses, he's better than Moses. To priests, he's way better than priests. He's, he's better than all the sacrifices. He's better than the temple itself. Whatever, we, whatever you had before, now you have Jesus, and he's better than all of it. Hang on to him. Don't quit. Don't give up. Okay, so that's the context of the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. That's what's going on. And we get to the end of the book, and whoever wrote it gives this little blessing this prayer of blessing, this benediction. Okay, now, this is in uh, Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what's pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay, that's a really, really cool prayer. Essentially, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, okay, you don't know what's going to happen to you, and if you're anything like me, you don't know how you're going to handle whatever comes. Whatever comes this year, this month, this week, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. A lot of times I'm worried I'm going to face plant or fall apart. And this person is saying, here's something that you need to know. As you go into your week with all of that uncertainty, And with all of that wondering, how's it going to go? And how am I going to do in the midst of it? Know this, you have a shepherd who's alive and God is at work in you to make you pleasing to him and everything you need to face whatever you're going through, he will equip you with because of this blood was shed for you. Okay. So we're going to break all of that down, okay? But that's essentially what this prayer is. Now may, now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what's pleasing to him, according to, through Jesus Christ, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so this is really cool. You have things, you may not know what you're going to face, and you may not know how you're going to do in the midst of it, but you have some really cool stuff. Thing number one, even though it sometimes may feel like it, you are not exposed and alone. And that's really good news, y'all. That's my first piece of good news. Whatever you're going to go into this week, this month, this year, you are not exposed and alone out there by yourself. Isn't that good news? Okay, so I... I was raised either, I, most of my life I was, I grew up in Oak Ridge, this, this little tiny little town that we're in. And then if I, before I was in Oak Ridge, we moved like 10 different times. I moved here in the third grade. We moved almost every year before that. My dad was, was a high school football coach and you're always just going to a new town and a new team and a new, you're always wearing different colors and the whole thing. And then we wound up here, but it was always tiny little towns in Tennessee. That was my whole life growing up. We never went anywhere, never went to big cities and all that. That kind of stuff, and then when I became an adult, I had all these opportunities to go to these big cities for the first time, some in the states, and even some you know, in, in international and other countries and stuff like that. And I have always loved doing that, it's so much fun, and yet, like, sometimes I find myself. In these cities alone, like one of the first times I ever went to a big city was when um, I don't remember how many years and I don't know if you know this story, but Bill, when he left, uh, when the, the Reesers left Oak Ridge the first time and went out to St. Louis, which why did they do that? Like nobody knows. They didn't ask me, you know, but he went to St. Louis and he had this idea to have a Young Life camp, because there wasn't a Young Life camp around where he was. So he had this idea of like, I'm going to make a Young Life camp in the middle of downtown Chicago. We're going to be in a conference room in a hotel on Michigan Avenue, and we're going to have Young Life camp. And he asked me, do you want to come speak at this camp? And I was like, yeah. I don't even know at that point if I'd ever even been to Chicago. And so here we are at the Essex Hotel on Michigan Avenue. Saturday morning, I thought, okay, I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to go walk around and think about the talk that I'm going to give at club this morning. So I just set out on my own, the country boy in the big city. And in like 10 minutes, I was like, oh, no, I have no idea where I am. And I was just like, oh gosh. And then I looked at my watch and I was like, and this was before the days of us having GPS in our phones and all that stuff. And I was like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where I am and and it was cold i had this big wool coat on and i was walking around and i was just like i'm just a little boy in this big city and i have no idea what to do joe was there with me and matt king was there but they were in the hotel and i was just walking around i couldn't find a starbucks to find to ask anybody how do i get to the essex hotel i was just like for 45 minutes i was in a panic just going left and right and walking back and up and down i was probably walking about like the same 60 feet of this one street and then finally I found somebody who told me where to go but I was just exposed and alone and afraid and I was just there by myself found somebody who told me how to get back to the hotel and I got back and I don't even know if I ever told you this I was like I literally thought I'm gonna miss club like I'm not gonna make it back in time and I might die here like I don't know (laughs) when the person that I found told me how to get back over they were this was the most embarrassing thing ever they were like yeah you're one block away from the Essex Hotel it's right there and I was like Oh. And I was just like right there. I had no idea. I was just so scared, you know? And, and that experience was like, it's so difficult. Now, contrast that with when you go to a big, huge city that you've never been before, but you have somebody that's like confident, and they know the place, and they know the language and stuff like that. That is the funnest experience in the world. I'll never forget when uh, when I was in college, I got the chance to go to China with Christy. And, um, by the way, everybody just thinks like, "Oh, Christy, she's just so sweet and so quiet and so timid and everything." You should see this girl in China, man. She just like runs the place, <laughs> and like, it was one of these deals where like I was about to way overpay for this uh, touristy T-shirt of the of the Great Wall in this uh, in this like it was like this big shopping bazaar or whatever in the in the, in the middle of downtown Beijing, and if you've never seen Christy go toe to toe with a seventy year old like um, like uh, you know whatever like a touristy junk salesperson in China, you should really see that. It's really quite something. But it was, I was just standing back watching her get like 60% off on this t-shirt, and she was like, I know what to do. You just have to be the first person in the shop. They're not gonna not make the sale. You can drive them down as hard as you want. And she was like in this dude's face, and I walked out barely paying anything for this t-shirt. It was amazing. So when you're in a huge place that you don't know, but you have somebody who knows where they're going, That's a totally different thing. Here's the deal. You don't know where you're going to go this year. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how you're going to handle it. But you have the shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. And he's alive. And he's with you. And he knows where you're going. And he knows the language. And he knows what to do. I'm not exposed and alone. Let me give you some more good news. And if this sounds like good news, you should let your neighbor know. Here it is. You are not under scrutiny or under a microscope where God is just going to get you in trouble by however you handle whatever you're facing. Isn't that good news? That's super good news. God is not just watching you, waiting for you to screw up so he can be like, boom, lightning bolt. There you did it. That was exactly what I didn't want to see. That's not the situation that you're living in. When I played high school football for the Oak Ridge Wildcats, roll Wildcats roll, um, I played played with this guy who went on to play for the Air Force Academy. He was an unbelievable football player. But when you were on the field with him, there was a weird thing that you would experience. If you didn't know about it, you were like, like you thought you were in some like Jason Bourne movie or something like that, because when you would look at him in the huddle, he would have a red dot on his helmet and he looked like he was about to be sniped from, the, from like the bleachers. And it turned out that his dad was sitting in the bleachers with these super high powered binoculars with a laser sight on them. And they were on his helmet or his shoulder pads the entire game. And, he, and his wife was sitting beside him with a journal and a pen and he would, as soon as a play was over, he would come out from behind the binoculars and go B plus and then I'm not kidding and then he would watch the next play A minus the next play would go and he would go C plus that was a third and seven can you write that down we need to talk about it I'm not kidding. This was every game of this dude's football career. I don't know if he did it at the Air Force Academy. I wasn't there. Nobody asked me to play football for them. But like, I'm telling you, here's what I don't need in my life is I don't need to have the feeling that whatever I'm doing, not only am I liable to screw it up and face plant and fall apart, but that God himself is just like looking down at me under a microscope, scrutinizing every little mistake that I make. This benediction, this prayer of blessing says that he is at work in you so that you are pleasing to him. Isn't that beautiful news? Not only do I have a shepherd who knows where we're going, he knows what the plan is, he doesn't get flustered or surprised, and he's always with me, even though I don't know any of those things, but also he is actually at work in me so that I can be pleasing to him. That is beautiful news. That's fantastic. I have a shepherd walking me through this. And I have him actually at work in me to make me pleasing to him. But that's not all you have. You've got a shepherd and you've got him at work. Okay, so you're not exposed and alone. You're not under a microscope or under constant scrutiny for failing. But also, you're not empty-handed because you have equipment. He says, may he equip you with every good thing that you need for doing God's will. This year, this month, this week, whatever happens, he's going to give you some equipment. And that equipment comes because the blood of the eternal covenant was shed for you. That's how you get your equipment. That's where it is. So what equipment am I going to need? Okay. What equipment am I going to need to make it through whatever I'm going to face this year? Okay. Okay. I thought of some things, and I thought of some things that you get because the blood was shed. And here's the deal. You don't know what you're going to face. You don't know what relationships or conversations you're going to walk into. But, and I have learned this personally, and I've learned it several times, and I learned it real hard this week. You're going to need humility. I appreciate that it's really quiet in here right now. (laughs) Because I don't want humility. You don't want humility. I don't want any of that. But you're going to need it. OK, you're going to need it. To, to quote the brilliant social philosopher T. Alison Swift, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. You're going to need to say that sometimes. And if you haven't said it in a long time, here's the thing. You're late. You're just late. I'll tell you right now. You've been the problem at some point this week, this month, whatever it is. And if you haven't said it, you're late. You're going to need that in order for you to face whatever you're going to face. And according to God's will, you're going to need some humility. And that piece of equipment, you get that f- through this. The blood of the eternal covenant was shed for you. There is nothing in the world more humbling than the fact that the blood was shed for me. Because my life had become such a complete and total disaster that the only way to turn it around, the only way to rescue it is God himself had to come all the way down here and give his blood for me. It's humbling. And as long as I can keep that in the forefront of my mind, I don't have any problem with being in the middle of a conversation or a relationship or a situation and saying, hey, that was, that was me. I was actually the problem right here. Everything you need, that word equip you for everything good that you need, it's a word that can mean like preparation or adjustment. It's like when the, it's like when the defensive coordinator, you know, he had a plan for the game, but then you know you, you saw something from their offense you weren't expecting. And so during halftime, you make the halftime adjustments and you come out and play the second half differently. Sorry, non-sports people, we're done with that. That's as far as that's gonna go. But what adjustments do I need to make for what I'm gonna face this, this time? One of them is I need to be ready to be the problem. And the blood of Jesus humbles me unlike anything else in the world, but there's some more equipment that I need. I don't know what I'm going to face. I don't know what's going to happen or how I'm going to handle it, but I'll tell you this. Here's something that I need. I need to walk into, I need to be able to walk into a room and not need your approval and your approval and your affection. I can't walk into every room like an empty bucket needing everybody else to fill me up. Amen? Amen. I need to walk into every room already filled up. All the affection I need and all the, all the appreciation and all the, all the approval. I need that before I walk into rooms this year. And here's the thing. Yes, it's true. Nothing humbles me like the fact that the blood of Jesus was spilled for me. But nothing in the world builds me up more than the fact that the blood of Jesus was spilled for me. It's not just that he had to spill his blood to save you and me. He wanted to. He was willing to. It was his mission, and he did it for the joy set before him, Hebrews chapter 12 says. You were the joy, and I was the joy set before him. Here's the deal. You need need to feel accepted, and you need to feel appreciated, and you need to feel some approval. This is the truth. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if you weren't there that's as good as it gets. And there is no one in any room in any relationship this year who can make you feel as good as that will, as as good as that feels, if you will let it. So I need humility. Nothing humbles me like the blood of Jesus. I need to be built up and nothing builds me up like the blood of Jesus, but I need something else. Okay. Because like I said, I don't know what's coming. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. And probably left and right, I'm going to step on a couple rakes. Okay. I'm going to mess it up a few times. So here's what I need every now and then Lord Jesus. I just need you to cover my back. I just need cover. I just need to be covered up. Does anybody know how that feels? Like I, I just need you. I need you to clean this up. I'm just going to make some messes and I just need to clean it up. I need you to clean it up for me. And I have really good news about that. The book of Hebrews is obsessed with this concept. Whoever wrote this, they love this idea. Because the book of Hebrews is all about blood. I told you before, it's about tenacity, it's about faith, it's about about comparisons, but it's all about blood. Blood of sacrifice, blood of covering, blood that sprinkles and sprays and covers up stuff that has gone wrong, makes it right, cleanses it, changes it. That is a concept that this letter is absolutely obsessed with. You know, the, uh, out of all the books in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews talks about blood more than any other and way more than any other. Like the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, mentions the word blood one time. The uh, Luke and John both mention blood five times each. Matthew, way more than the others, a whopping nine times. The book of Hebrews, 21 times times it talks about blood it talks about blood a ton and the reason is it's making all these comparisons to the old sacrificial system and I want to read to you guys something that happens in in the book of Exodus when they were first getting that cranked up and oh man my things okay oh I found it there it goes I thought my little marker was gone I thought I'm gonna have to find it like old school back in the bible drill days okay present swords for those of you who are with me in those days um okay Um, This is Exodus chapter 29 in verse 19. Um, This is the Lord talking to Moses. So they he had Moses and the and the children of Israel built this big tent and it was representing and it was teaching the people about what it means to come to God, what it means to approach him and to worship him and to know him and in order to do it, everybody is so sinful and so messed up that they had to have all these animal sacrifices where innocent animals would give their life and bleed their blood to take the place of the people who were such a mess and such a disaster and they had all these articles and rituals and all these ceremonies that they would do and they had a high priest and he had this crazy detailed uniform that he had to wear, and they had all these things, okay? And this is kind of the kickoff of all of that. This is Exodus 29, verse 19. He says, take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons, that's Moses' brother Aaron, he was the first high priest. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, take some of its blood, and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toe of their right feet then splash blood against the sides of the altar and take some of the blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. And then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Okay, this is so weird and so interesting. The high priest would put on this super special outfit for this job that he had to do that nobody else could do. Once a year, he would go into the super special room where the presence of God was. Nobody else got to go in there. And before he did it, he had to put on this this amazing outfit, and then they would take the first sacrifice and they would put blood on his right earlobe and then on his right thumb and then on his right big toe. And it's like, it was like he was saying, in order for you to even get anywhere near God, you're going to have to be so covered up that it's like blood is, it's like from your head to your toe. On your right earlobe, down to your right toe, right in the middle, too. And it's like this whole, like from head to toe, you just need to be covered with this cleansing blood. And then he's like, you know what, Moses? Just take that little paintbrush plant that y'all have. Just take some of the blood. Just spray it on him. Just, just cover him up. And even though you've already done the earlobe and the toe thing, just put it everywhere. Just put it on the, put it on the tent. Put it on the altar. Put it on the articles. And that's what Hebrews chapter 9 says. It says in Hebrews chapter 9 that Moses sprinkled everything with blood. He sprinkled the tabernacle. He sprinkled the altar. He sprinkled the priests. He, he said, in fact, there was nothing that, that wasn't sprinkled with blood. Because if we're going to do this thing, we just have to be covered up, y'all. I just need somebody to cover my tail. Amen cover me, please. Cover me, Vankman. I need some cover. I need somebody to, to, to just to clean me up if I'm going to even approach. There's this beautiful place in, um, at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 9 where he's talking about the high priest going in there one time, one person, one day out of the year. And then this phrase happens. He says, but never without blood. And that's how you guys and I are going into this year. This is the blessing that I want to give to you as you step out into the unknown of, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I don't know if I'm going to get it right or if I'm going to face plant or fall apart. You are not exposed and alone. The great shepherd of the sheep is walking you through this year. You are not under a microscope of scrutiny because he is at work in you to make you pleasing to him and everything you need for whatever you're going to face, you walk into every room and every relationship, but never without blood. You are cleansed. You are covered. You are his. You were wanted. You can do this because he is the one covering you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. And thank you for the fact that your precious blood was spilled to cleanse us, to make us new, And sometimes just to cover us. So that if I fail, if I face plant, if I fall apart, I'm covered. I'm covered. I'm clean. I'm covered. Thank you so much. And I pray that you would help us to walk into this year not afraid. Because you're with us. And because you're covering our back. It's in your your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, wherever you are, sing this out
1: loud. To sing about the blood of Jesus and how it paid for us. Here we go. I am you, and I am love, because it's true. You gave your blood, I am you, and I am love, because of you, because of the blood. Your blood I'm clean now, because you paid my cost. Lord, I'm going to lay down who I once was. You say I'm clean, because you paid my cost. I am new, and I am loved, because it's true. You gave your of the blood. One oh more time. And I am you, and I am love, because it's true, you gave your blood, I am you, and I am love, because of you, because of the blood.